Good morning, my friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to Morning Glory, our midweek Bible study. And I'm so glad that you're here today. Now, let's take our Bibles, go to Isaiah chapter 61. Let's discuss the subject today of your new anointing. Woo! Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we jump into your holy word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come today and bring illumination of the scriptures to our understanding. Now, we thank you, Father, for helping us to know you through your word and to make these biblical applications to our lives and thus fulfill our destinies by the empowerment of your spirit. Now, we thank you for this in Jesus' name, and we all pray and agree and say amen. Amen. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. So today, much of our discussion will subject will uh, center around the subject of the anointing. Now, he continues by saying, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's what we would call the year of Jubilee and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Now, as we just look across these verses, we really do see that the anointing contains so many answers for hurting humanity. And the anointing contains the answers that we need to move forward in life. We see, for example, there's an anointing, there's an anointing to preach, to preach the good tidings or the good news. There's an anointing to heal, to proclaim uh, liberty, and to open up prison doors, whatever type of prisons those might be and to proclaim jubilee, to comfort, to console, to give beauty for ashes, the release of the oil of joy, garments of praise. My friends, the anointing encapsulates the deliverance and the blessing that you are looking for. Praise God. So what is the anointing? It is the empowerment of the Spirit of God that enables you to do supernatural accomplishments. Woo! Praise the Lord. Now think about that just for a moment. I know that we have studied the anointing often. There's many good messages on the anointing, but I want to bring some things in today from a different angle that I believe that will help you to understand really the value of the anointing and why God wants you to be anointed. And it's something really that's not even uh, optional. It's more of a necessity when you understand what it really is. Again, what is the anointing? It is the empowering of the Spirit of God so that you can do supernatural accomplishments. Woo! Praise God. Now, you can get some things done, perhaps without the Holy Spirit, but when it comes to life commissioning, life assignments, important things that God has for you, you will need the help and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, think about Jesus just for a moment. When you scan his life in scriptures, you can't help but notice that the first 30 years of his life, they are pretty quiet. Yes, we do have the incident at the age of 12 where he is there with the great religious teachers and the biblical authorities there at the temple. But Jesus at that time still was not anointed. And so although he was displaying remarkable wisdom at that age, he still needed to be filled with power before he could fulfill his commission. Woo, praise God. So the anointing is God's device for equipping men and women to, to accomplish, to do, to fulfill amazing things. God didn't plan your life to be some mediocre thing where you wake up every day bored, bored as if it's another day of just going through some robotic, mindless routine. No, God has something beautiful planned for you, and you're going to need the Holy Spirit's help in order to complete that commission, because that commission at times will require power. And God's got all the power you need. You know, we have that saying in the church, God has all the power you need. It's even a song. <laughs> but you have to understand that power is connected to the anointing. The anointing is the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit's enablement for you to do these wonderful, wonderful things. Let's go over now to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. Luke, chapter 4, and let's go down to verse 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Now, that's unique. There is a difference, absolutely. And I want to talk about this difference in just a moment. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region. Why is news going lightning fast throughout the area? Because somebody is uniquely empowered. Praise the Lord. The anointing we see here again is for divine enabling. It's so that you can do what normally you would not have the power or the ability to do. Thank you, Lord. Now, the anointing, please listen very carefully to this statement. This might be new to some of you. The anointing is a much deeper encounter with the Holy Spirit. It's deeper than the initial baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. I talked to some Charismatics, Pentecostals, they think that once you're, uh, you know, saved and then baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, they think that's it. <laughs> you know, you got saved, that's great. Then you had a distinct experience after that, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But my friends, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is the initial uh, introduction into the power realm of God. It's just the beginning of getting into what we could call the really, really good stuff. So the anointing is a deeper encounter with the Holy Spirit, and it goes beyond the initial baptism of the Holy Spirit, which would have the evidence of speaking in tongues. It is the anointing. It is a more profound experience. God wants you to walk in a 
fresh anointing. God also wants you to walk. Many of you, you're going to step into even a new anointing. Say yes. Amen. Say I'm ready. Woo. Praise God. Now let's go over to a classic scripture, Acts chapter two. Of course, many of you know this, but I want you to see something again carefully. Verse two, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and one sat upon each of them. So the Holy Spirit swept in and he indwelt the believers there in the upper room, but he not only indwelt them, but notice that he also rested upon them in the, in the form of what appeared like tongues of fire. Mm-mm. Thank you, Jesus. So you're going to need the anointing. Yes, of course, in you, but you also need the anointing upon you. And this is what a lot of believers are not understood. You also need the, the anointing upon you in order to realize your destiny. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. And they had that anointing upon them there through that initial baptism experience with tongues of fire upon them, moving them now into the deeper things of God. Praise the Lord. Now let's drop by Acts chapter 10, verse 38, just briefly, and take a look at this scripture. And it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Now, this is interesting because from time to time, you will meet those in church who think that Jesus's last name is Christ. Like me, uh, Stephen Brooks. So people, uh, you know, understand that Brooks is my last name. Now, according to what my parents told me, it's, uh, and I, what I've seen from histor- history, it's derived from an old English word from those settlers in England who settled by the brooks. And for some reason, they liked the water and they lived by the brook and they were called the brooks. <laughs> That's how we got our last name. It's like a Smith, like John Smith. Well, Smith means most likely that in your lineage, somebody was a blacksmith, and that's how that name was given. Okay, Christ is not Jesus's last name. Christ is a title, and it means the anointed one. But what does it mean to be anointed? What does it mean to say that Jesus is the Mashiach or the Messiah, which again means what? It comes back to the same thing. It means the anointed one. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, what was Jesus anointed with? Well, first of all, let's understand what it means to anoint. The word anoint in the Hebrew and also in the Greek, it means to, it means to smear. It means to smear with oil in context is what it's referring to. But nevertheless, it means to smear, to rub it on and try to rub it in at the same time. You know that when you go to New York and you go to a really good deli and uh, there in New York, New York City and uh, many other surrounding cities in that, that area, if you want to get a bagel and you want cream cheese on it, which is what I always do when me and Kelly get an everything bagel, those are our favorites, and you tell them that you want it with schmear, okay, uh, S-C-H-M-E-A-R. And that, that's a word that comes from the Yiddish, which means, uh, you know, 
uh, smear on or, you know, put on the cream cheese. That's all that means. So you want your bagel with smear, okay? And they're going to take some cream cheese and smear it on or smear it on, as they would say. They're going to put it on there, you know, and put it on thick, preferably. Praise God. Well, that's the same thing as anoint. It means to smear and rub it in. Woo, praise God. So Jesus was smeared and had rubbed all over him and rubbed into him what? Well, I know what, Pastor Stephen, peanut butter. No, I don't know if I'd want a Messiah covered in peanut butter. I want a Savior not covered in uh, uh, peanut butter and jelly. How about something else? Well, what does the Bible say? How God anointed or smeared Jesus of Nazareth with what? The Holy Spirit. Woo! And with power. Don't think for a moment that if Jesus needed to be smeared with the Holy Spirit and power, that somehow you don't. <laughs> that somehow you're, you're exempt from this. Well, Pastor Stephen, I'm not a preacher like Jesus. No, but you are a Christian you are an anointed one. That's what it means to believe to be a Christian. That is a that is pulled from the word Christ, which means what? Not his last name. It's a title that means the Messiah. That means the anointed one. So if you are a Christian, a Christian, that means you are an anointed one. So you should be anointed with something also. With what? The same thing, the Holy Spirit, and with power. Mm -mm. Jesus had to be anointed in order to fulfill his commission. And you have to be anointed also because you have a commission. You have an assignment to accomplish and get done as well. Praise the Lord. Now, let's go further in this study today. Let's jump over to Psalm 92. Psalm 92, verse 10. Can you believe I actually used to have a license plate? It said Psalm uh, PS 9210. <laughs> Since then, I've changed it. But of course, when you um, drive around, <coughs> excuse me, when you drive around with it on your license plate, you, you certainly memorize it. Praise God. Psalm 92, verse 10. David said, but my horn, that would mean strength or my empowerment, my ability to do things, but my horn you have exalted like a wild ox. Well, I read it one time from the King James Version, and a lady got real upset at me, saying I was pushing the New Age. <laughs> Actually, what I was pushing was the Bible and the culture of the Middle East and Israel, which she had no clue of. And of course, in the King James Version, it says, I have been on, uh, it says, you have exalted. Uh, uh, my horn has been exalted like a unicorn. Oh, and a la I read that one time from the King James Version. The lady said, oh, 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 that's awful. Oh, he's preaching new age. Do you know, if you study the Kyle and Delich commentary of the Old Testament, which any serious student of the Old Testament is going to eventually come across, and you're going to end up reading it because it's just too good not to, uh, and it is very analytical, very technical, and, uh, and it runs very um, intellectual. But if you want to get as much commentary as you can on the Old Testament, you're going to end up reading Kyle and Delicia's commentary. Did you know that they actually, um, these two men in their commentary on the ancient unicorn actually talked about pictures 
that were drawn and pictures and descriptions of the unicorn, the horse with one horn coming out of the center of his head that was commonly known to exist in ancient Syria and also in ancient Israel. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. It's, I'm telling you, um, when the Bible talks, when Jeremiah the prophet, it talks about the flying serpent. <laughs> oh, Pastor Stephen, that's imaginary. No, it's not. That, used, that creature used to exist also. That would be kind of weird to be kind of tough to deal with a poisonous snake, especially when he could fly around. Glad that one went extinct. Praise the Lord. But my friends, um, these things are true. Well, some commentaries or some uh, translations go a little bit of a different translation. And like the New King James Version I'm reading from says, you have exalted my horn or my strength like a wild ox. Well, that makes everybody happy, okay? But at least we know an ox is big, strong, powerful. And I'm not here to get into the unicorn discussion, but yes, I do believe they existed. I've seen too much evidence and I've read too many uh, uh, old manuscripts and papers of too many eyewitnesses and people said, yep, they were walking around. They just went extinct. Now, I have been anointed with what? Old rancid oil? No, no. I have been anointed with fresh oil. You know, there was a pastor a couple of years ago that said that he had a visitation from Jesus. Can you believe this? He said the Lord told him, take all of your old Bible notes and throw them away. They are inhibiting you from getting into fresh revelation. Mm -mm. I know one preacher, bless his heart. Every time he preaches, he brings out the same old Bible and the same old notes that he taught 30 years ago and just reteaches it again. Now, I'm the first to admit that the truths or God's word are timeless. But, but what I would like to have you understand is that the move of the Spirit is constant. And what the Spirit was focusing on in this decade is not what He's focusing on in this one. And it won't be the, the focus 10 years from now. These things move as the Spirit moves. I believe that as we get closer and closer to the return of the Lord and into the further extremes of the end times, I believe we'll get further and further towards the back of the book, which is where all the action is at. And if you don't read the book of Revelation... Wow. Oh, it's one, of, it's one of the greatest books in the Bible. And 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, Epistles, Jude, Revelation, all of those are going to be hot, hot subjects as we move towards the last days because that's what they're all focused on. The back of the book <laughs> is dealing with what all of this stuff wrapping up, and you need to know it. Mm, glory to God. And even if you don't understand it, you should still read it. Uh, it says, whoever reads the book of Revelation receives a blessing. You, you're not going to understand it all at once because a lot of the typology and, and uh, symbols are tied to the Old Testament, uh, which certainly undermines the modern theology of, we don't need the Old Testament any, anymore. 
<laughs> if you don't need the Old Testament anymore, you can't understand Passover. You can't understand uh, apocalyptic symbols. You can't understand the feast. You can't understand hardly anything. You, you could maybe read the epistles of Paul and begin to get some insight, but none of it's going to make any sense if you don't read about the Exodus journey or any of that. Nothing makes any sense. Uh, so we need absolutely 100% all of the Bible. If you believe that, say amen. Now, we're going to live in the new covenant, but we thank God we have the old as an example for us. Praise God. So David here is saying that he was anointed with fresh oil, and there is a time for something new. And by the way, that, that one pastor that had that visitation just took all of his old, old stale notes and threw them away. Why? It, it forces him to get into the Word, labor in the Word, and get fresh new material. <laughs> Praise God. You know, to not do that is like, would be like a shoe company like Nike. Uh, and they come out with a popular shoe, and everybody likes it, and, that, and you just keep pushing it month after month, year after year. Hey, you know, eventually, while that shoe was real hot at one time, uh, people have gotten really tired of that. And if you don't get some new product out, new colors and new styles and new brand you know, or, or new versions and so forth, uh, you're going to go out of business, praise God, or people are going to begin to lose interest. So we need, we need fresh oil, you know, and, and not only uh, in these areas of revelation and walking in our lives, but even if you had an experience three years ago where God touched you in a mighty way and you were empowered and you, you know, you, you were ringing with vibrancy. Well, you know, uh, three years, a lot can go on between now and then. This is something that you have to maintain. By the way, this is why also David never lost a battle. <laughs> so the anointing, you could say on David, it never went stale. Wow. Praise God. So we need to stay anointed with fresh oil. I can, I believe that fresh oil is new oil mm -mm, and can take you into some new things. Uh, since we're close to uh, David here, let's talk a little bit about Saul. Let's go to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 10. Um, Saul, the first king of Israel, he had a different kind of anointing than David. Uh, when the oil of anointing was poured on Saul by the prophet Samuel, it was poured through a flask. Uh, but when it was poured on David, it was poured out of a horn, which represents power. So there's different kinds of anointings, different kinds of abilities that God can give. Now, notice this though in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his, that would be Saul's head, and kissed him and said, is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? Wow. There's something about the anointing. Listen to me. When it comes on you, it puts you in command. It puts you in command of negative circumstances. It, it places you in a position where you can now begin to take charge and begin to bring order into a chaotic situation. Praise God. So the anointing puts you in command, in command in the area of your field, whatever that might be, whether it's science or medicine or ministry, you begin to go into command in that area and you get things done 
and you solve problems and you find solutions and basically you, you just, you win, you win and you, you, you get that understanding of what it is and you figure out that recipe, that, that anointing that God has for you and you flow with that and you maintain it. Mm-mm. Woo. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. And that's something that instantly altered the life. I'm telling you, it totally altered the life of Saul. When that anointing came on him, he was a different man and you need the anointing. You need that. that that's what the oil back then was representing the empowerment of the Holy spirit. And it can take your talent or your gift. It can point it in the right direction and it can also allow you to go to the height that God has for you. See, if you don't have the anointing and it's just a natural talent, it can, it can move people. It can do things, but it may even actually be going in the wrong direction. You could have like a grace gift. It's just something you're born with. And let's say you have the ability to make people laugh. You know, I, ha- I, I was given that, even when I was young, I could, I, when I was in elementary school, I could make the entire class laugh. I could tell silly stories and, uh, and, and do silly things. And before you, you knew it, they're, they're all laughing, thinking that's the silliest thing. And I would just make this stuff up off the cusp, just like that. And uh, they would actually tell me, uh, you know, Stephen, tell us another story. Make us all laugh again. <laughs> Oh, yes, Pastor Stephen, that means you're supposed to be a comedian. Pastor Stephen, that means that God has his hand on your life and you're supposed to be the one that rescues Saturday Night Live because they're really not doing good. uh, No, 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 that's going the wrong direction. But see, when the anointing of God comes, it'll actually take it, steer it in the right direction. Some Some of the best ministers are anointed in the area they'll make you laugh where you can pour medicine, even if it doesn't taste good, into, into the sheep, into God's people, but you do it with laughter, and they're laughing while they're drinking it. <laughs> I've seen people laugh and get delivered from demons at the same time. Mm-mm-mm. Glory, glory, glory to God. So laughter, uh, laughter is like a medicine, praise God. And God, uh, God, when he anoints you, allows you sometimes just to be funny. Amen. Now, when you're not under that anointing, you may kind of like revert to like, just kind of like normal, having fun, stuff like that. But you get under the anointing, you can get just uh, not crude, not coarse jesting, but you can get in this flow where uh, you're funny. And I've had a lot of people respond to that with comments saying, oh, I didn't know he was funny. (laughs) Uh, He's a deep teacher. Uh, He's going to tell you about heaven. Well, yeah, they don't expect that you're going to make them laugh or that you're going to be laughing yourself. Amen. But Jesus was anointed with what? The oil of gladness. Oh, he could make you laugh. Amen. Oh, praise God. So that is, that is one aspect of the character of God. Certainly one that we should embrace. But I I want you to understand something that while you can have like a natural knack or a gifting in an area, maybe, maybe you could even call it genius level that some uh, rare ones have without the anointing, please understand it's still not going to be maximized. No matter how many people clap. Oh, 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 that was wonderful. I mean, think about Mozart for a moment. When he was at the age of four, he heard his brother, his older brother, play 
um, something on the harpsichord that was a very, his parents said it was a very complicated tune that he had played. Well, Mozart, when he was four, heard his older brother played that, uh, walked over, never having had a lesson, never having touched this instrument before, walked over to the harpsichord, sat down, and played the exact song that was a very complicated song that his older brother had just played earlier. And you would think, now, how does he even know where to put his fingers at? How does he know what a D chord is or an F minor chord? How does he even, how do you just walk up to a piano type thing and start doing that? Well, he did. <laughs> and by the age of eight, as many of you know, he was already composing symphonies. At the age of seven, he was writing sonatas. So that is extremely uh, rare gifting. And, uh, but, but that's a gifting that's intellectualism where it, it is brilliant and people applaud it, people celebrate it, but without the anointing, it still won't distinguish you in an area where God is glorified. See, people all applauded him. Oh, he's, he's brilliant. He's a genius. And he was, it was a grace gift. His parents were both musicians and it, something that was given there was beautiful. But you know, Mozart only lived to be 35. And, uh, as far as I know, I don't, uh, I haven't seen much uh, there in his biographies about him being a holy man or anything like that. Actually, quite the opposite. So you're going to need the anointing to steer you in the right direction, but to come upon you so that really that grace gift can actually explode into something that we could even say goes off the charts. You know, if you read the, the testimonies of those that lived during the Azusa Street Revival, running from 1906 to 1909. Uh, you'll probably come across some of the, uh, the uh, not magicians, <laughs> there were none of those, musicians, excuse me, musicians who actually were involved in the leading of the worship. There was uh, one pianist and there was one violinist. The violinist actually was a professional violinist who played with the local orchestra. I don't know if it was the LA Orchestra or whoever it was, but... Um, but this violinist said that although he was classically trained and was a professional violinist, he said in those meetings when the glory of God came in, his ability to play the violin went off the chart. He said, I went to a level that I could never, ever reach in the most uh, you know, celebrated music halls of the world. He said, although my musical ability was way up there, he said something would happen in the anointing in the glory, I could play unlimited. And he said, I could, he said, even with all my training and skill, I could never do that in a normal, you know, um, a concert event. Wow. Wow. The anointing makes all the difference. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, Luke chapter four. Let's jump back over there. I want you to see something because while there can be what we would call child prodigies, I want you to understand that even Jesus himself, you could easily put him in that category as the ultimate child prodigy, but it's still not enough. Now follow me as to where we're going with this. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Okay, so he's, he's anointed. That power is on him. Now, go back to Luke chapter 2. So you saw that later he's going to be empowered. But let's, let's go to when he was younger. Luke chapter 2, verse 41, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, which is what good, obedient Jews would do. Uh, 
And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. Okay, so how old was Jesus? He was 12. Now, here's my opinion. Here's my thought. I believe that because his family does this every year, I believe that by the age of 12, he already knew within him that this whole Passover thing is about him. I believe he already had it figured out. I believe he had already unlocked that revelation by the Holy Spirit that he is the Passover lamb. And one day he's going to die here in this city. I believe he already knew it. Pastor Stephen, that's genius. Yes, it is. But still, still, it takes more than that. Follow along. Praise God. We're in Luke chapter 2, verse 43. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, quite stressed out, I'm sure, <laughs> seeking him. You've lost God. <laughs> now, so it was that after three days they found him, where? In the temple. Sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Okay, so he's sitting uh, in the midst of the teachers. They're in the temple, not outside of it. Some said that he would be probably on the temple steps listening to them. No, that, that would have been outside of the temple. So he's inside probably not in what was called the chamber of the hewn stones. Only the priest could go into there. But the, the Sanhedrin would meet there in the chamber of the hewn stones with their, with their gathering. And then when they were done, they would come out. And oftentimes, while they were still in the temple, they would begin to talk with people and do teaching sessions. And that's what he obviously is jumping in on when they would begin to sit down and teach. So he gets in the center of that. But notice it says, both listening to them and now watch this. Think with the Hebrew mind just for a moment. It's different from the Western mind asking them questions. Yes, Pastor Stephen, that's Jesus asking them questions. What does Exodus chapter four, verse 12 mean? Mr. Rabbi, please teach me what Psalm 32 verse nine means. No, that's not what he's doing in the in the culture of the Middle East, you actually taught by asking questions. What does that mean? It means he's teaching them. <laughs> he's the one doing the teaching. So they're teaching, and he would interrupt with the question. And the question is designed to get you to think. And the question is actually an answer also in itself. So the, the greatest, in other words, the greatest teachers in Israel were the ones that could get you to think. They're not just filling your head with information. They get you to think and you start to unravel it and get an understanding because he's asking the right questions and those questions actually present you with the answers. So they're like, <laughs> we've got a child prodigy in our midst. And they did the greatest one of all time. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. <laughs> Woo! It's pretty wild. Now, when we get to heaven, of course, we can watch that back on DVD or we can download it on the uh, 
uh, heavenly Amazon account. You could watch it on your TV there in your mansion or however that's going to work. But yes, we're going to certainly want to, re- want to replay that. But what I'm trying to say is that even with that, we could call it genius, which it obviously is, whether it's to memorize the complete Torah by the time you're four, you know, by the age of four, or the entire Old Testament by the time you're 10, or whatever it might be. Um, because just like you have mathematical child prodigies and you have musical child prodigies, yes, you have those in religion too. I've, I've, I've studied some of their lives. Yes, I've, I've known some by the age of 10, have the entire Tanakh memorized all of it. <laughs> You're like, wow, it's crazy. It, and, and it is, it's very, very impressive. But that was not enough for Jesus. And it's not enough for you if you want to fulfill the commission that God has for you. Don't think, don't think for a moment you can escape the enabling power of the Holy Spirit and still somehow get it done because you're so smart, which can be a gift from God. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Woo, glory. Amen. But you need more. You need more, which is why, again, Luke chapter 4, very quickly, verse 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And that's when the news of him, that's when the ministry exploded. That's when things took off. And he was never the same after that. And that's also when we see that classic uh, expression of the fulfillment of Isaiah 61 here in this chapter, verse 17, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. Now, as a good observant Jew, there have, uh, there have been other times previously, I'm sure he would be in the synagogue and, uh, you know, he's going to read the daily portion of scripture. But today, uh, he's going to do something never done before, and he's going to select, he's going to go to the portion that he wants to read. And here it is. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he's not joking. He's not kidding around. He is a totally different person now. Why? He's been anointed <laughs> and it's on him and he knows it. Everybody else knows it too. They cannot take their eyes off of him. Mm. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, today, never before, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's basically saying, I'm the anointed one. I'm the Christ. <laughs> Woo! And he is anointed. He is anointed. And that, my friends, cannot be denied. So again, the anointing is divine enabling. And you need it. Mm-mm. Salvation? Yes. Get you to heaven. Baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues Yes, that initiates you into the power experience of the Holy Spirit, but is the beginning. It is the very beginning of that. So there is deeper experience, which is what? The anointing. Wow, that's the game changer. It's the life-altering event. Praise the Lord. Let me share with you an example of how this can work. Praise the Lord. 
I believe for many of you, you're going to step into a new dimension of the anointing. God's going to touch you in such a way. It's like you're a different man. It's like you're a different woman. You act different, talk different, think different. Why? Something is on you in a different measure or even in a new measure that has not been there before. Wow. And it's there. It's there. And it was obviously on the Lord with a lot, with a lot of proof. But let me give you an example for a moment. I, I was in the home of a friend. Uh, he actually ministers a lot in India, but he was raised in Singapore. So Southeast Asia, uh, and, and also especially Singapore, is just a blending of so many cultures. They're in Singapore onto one, uh, you know, big island, <coughs> excuse me, big island state. And you have all of these different beautiful cultures there merging into one national identity. So it's not abnormal at all to meet people in Singapore that can speak multiple languages. So I said, well, how, I asked my friend, I said, how many languages can you speak fluently? He said, five. And he said, but he said, Pastor Stephen, that's pretty, uh, pretty common around here where most can speak at least three. He said, I can speak five fluently. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. But I want to give you an example of the anointing coming upon someone in the area of languages. Praise God. So my friend could speak five. And, you know, for me as an American, I'm thinking, wow, I know a little bit of Spanish and I know just some um, small usage of words in other languages, maybe to get me to the bathroom or something like that. But uh, five languages fluent. I'm like, wow, whoo, that's really good because I'm not able to do that. But um, let me share with you for a moment. I want to put his picture up on the screen right now. Uh, the man that you're looking at is Cardinal Joseph Mezzofanti, Italian man, of course, born in 1774, and he passed away in 1849. So this is not too long ago, but I want to talk just for a moment because Cardinal Mezzofanti was a polyglot. Woo, praise God. That's a big word. Let's talk about that for a moment. A polyglot is someone who has an ability to speak multiple languages fluently. And so throughout the world, you have uh, very rare examples of polyglots. Maybe somebody can speak nine languages fluently. Maybe somebody could speak 14 languages fluently and be able to translate them and so forth. And uh, they're, so polyglots are very, very rare. But Mr. Uh, Mezzofante was what is called a hyper-polyglot, but I want to describe why. I want to describe why the hyper, the anointing, can come upon you. Now, this man, when he was born, his parents were very humble. His father was a carpenter. And he raised his son Joseph up to become a carpenter also. But what happened to uh, Mezzofanti was when he was a young man at his father's carpentry shop, something took place. Now, the shop was not like in a little building, like you would think a carpenter shop. You go into a little building and they're going to make furniture for you or whatever. It was actually out in the open street. That's where they had their shop at. And people were walking by on the left and right and in front and behind and stuff like that. So the shop was actually in the middle of the street. 
A little different, but that's the way their shop was. In other words, it was like an open shop. Maybe you could call it that. But while he's learning carpentry, Joseph Mesafonte, as a young child, learning carpentry there in the street, right across the street was a language school. And they taught Latin. And what was the other language? Latin and Greek. And so there was a window opened and he could hear what is going on in that language school. And this is where the brilliant kids went to school at, by the way. And so standing out there in the middle of the street, as he's trying to, you know, do some carpentry, he could hear them talking over there and he's listening to the instructor teaching these kids Latin and Greek. Well, just by listening, he was able to learn Latin Greek with no textbook, with no personal tutoring or instructing. He learned it perfectly and he was able to speak it fluently. And uh, something took place where the instructor of the school found out what had happened to Joseph, Mesafonte. And the instructor thought, well, that's pretty amazing. And uh, so he, the instructor pulled him out of carpentry and said, I think you have a lot brighter future than making chairs, pulled him out of carpentry and got him in the direction of language studies. At the same time, he's called by God into the ministry. So as a good Catholic, he begins to go through the training and instruction to become a Catholic priest. And he eventually does. As a matter of fact, he eventually ends up becoming the Pope's right-hand man. And he oversees, Joseph Mesofanti oversaw all of the mission work of the Catholic Church. And there in Rome, there was a special place where uh, any aspiring young man that wants to be a missionary, you would go there and you would learn. So young men would come from all over the world who had given their hearts to Christ and wanted to be missionaries. And so they would come there and they would be taught. But it required somebody who's over that department who was Joseph Mesafonte, to be able to communicate with all of these young men coming in from all over the world, speaking all of these different languages. And Joseph could talk to any of them fluently, no matter where they came from. But as stunning as it was, and his ability uh, to speak all of these languages, matter of fact, the Pope called him the living Pentecost, because <laughs> there was nothing that could ever stump him as far as a language. But sometimes people have wondered how in the world did he get such an anointing to speak so many languages where even those that have the rare gift of being a polyglot look at him and say, that's like off the charts. That's just, that doesn't even make any sense what he was able to do. I want to talk just for a moment about stepping into the commissioning of your anointing. What happened with Joseph Mesafonte, where the anointing came on him, was like this. This is how the story goes. One day, while he was still young, and he only was fluent in a couple of languages, but yet he had now been ordained as a priest, he was asked to come to lead a confession to two men that were convicted on charges of piracy, and they're going to be executed the next day. And so Joseph goes to see them, and he wants them to get their lives right with God, because the next day, they're going to be executed. So he goes to see them, goes into the room, 
and tries to share with them about Jesus, and they cannot understand one single word he's saying. They don't speak his language. These are men that have been arrested, that have come from a foreign land, and nobody knows what language they speak, or, but all they know is they caught them uh, doing acts of piracy, so they're going to be executed. And so Joseph was so upset that he could not share the gospel with them because he couldn't underst- they couldn't understand him, that he stayed up all night praying to God, God, give me their language. Give it to me, because if not, they're going to die in their sins and go to hell. And he sought the Lord that night, and God gave it to him. And he walked into the jail cell the next day and got both of them to put their faith in Christ they confessed Jesus as their Lord and Savior, gave their heart to God, and they were, they were still executed, but they made heaven. <laughs> that, that is when the anointing came on him. So he showed polyglot genius tendencies to pick up languages really, really quick. But when that happened, when he made that commitment to like, God, please help me win these two to the Lord or they're going to be lost. We've got, I've got to have it quick. <laughs> that's when a, that's when a hyper super anointing came on him and he could speak what at least there's others that there's the story just goes on and on. He could speak 114 languages fluently. Now here's, here's what would just flip people out. He would have missionary young people come up to him and sometimes flooding with questions, sometimes on purpose to try to, as they're as they're playing with him, to try to get him to make a mistake on the interpretation. He would he would never make a mistake, even if ten people with all different languages started talking to him all at the same time. He would listen, and then when they all stopped, he would answer that one in that one's language, that one in that one's language, that one in that one's language, and he would do it all correctly. <laughs> he would never ever make a mistake. And this is why it's so hard. There were people coming from remote islands. There were people coming from tribal areas, from remote areas. And a lot of those languages are guttural. As you know, like Hebrew, for example, is a very guttural with a lot of like throat clearing, like, you know, type sounds. And he could fluently go back and forth from English to the guttural sounds. And you can't do that normally. Your throat cannot even does not even have the muscular ability to do that because it's impossible. He could go back and forth fluently and transition from the most complex languages. He could even speak some of the Native American Indian languages. (laughs) And here's how he could do it. All he needed was to be able to stand in front of you and let you talk in your native tongue. Watch this. Even if he doesn't know what you're saying, He got to the point where if you could just stand in front of him and you talk your native tongue for 15 minutes, he has your entire language now downloaded, all of it. It's it's superhuman. That's what the anointing is. It is divine enabling. Yeah. Oh yes. Thank God for the enabling that Oxford and Yale or whoever might pour into you. But this, this goes to a total different level. He could stand in front of you, and after 15 minutes, he could speak your entire language now fluently. Think about English, because remember, he's an Italian. Think about English for a moment. With all of our idioms and all of our—I've been told by Chinese people that English is the hardest language on earth to learn, because you could say, I love jam. 
they're thinking uh, jam on a jelly or jam in a traffic or that, that. We have so many words like that um, that it doesn't make any, it's just very, very confusing to foreigners. But he not only could speak the language, he somehow had by the power of the Holy Spirit, the ability to pick up all of your little nuances that every culture has, that every language has, and he would never get them wrong. He would always get those right. <laughs> so he can not only can speak English, he can speak it like an American, even with the lingo, whether you're from the South or from the North or from wherever, or some of the native tribal people uh, that, that you know the missionaries were trying to reach. He could do all of that. And then he could switch to ancient uh, Aramaic. And then he could switch to French and all the dialects of France are on and on and on it went. <laughs> you could see why the Pope called him the living Pentecost and why also in his field, he's taken command. Why? It's the anointing. Oh, Pastor Stephen, there's other polyglots in the world. Yes. But if you look at the ones that are called hyper polyglots, most of them, predominantly most of them got into that category because of the God factor. In other words, they're either using that gift like he is for missions. So the gospel can be sent to the lost or they're using it in the translation of books or something that glorifies God. If your commission is not to glorify God, but somehow you want to take credit and you want, you want the recognition, then that anointing won't come. It won't come. Pastor Stephen, I'll do a 40 day fast. That'll make it come. Not if you're pointing in the wrong direction. No, it won't. No, it won't. Number one, your life must be surrendered to the Lord for his glory. And if God sees it, he'll get the glory <laughs> and that you're in this for him. Don't be surprised if he puts something on you that takes you into a realm where it makes people's heads spin, they're like, <laughs> it's like Pharaoh with Joseph. He's like, where did this guy come from? We don't have, and Pharaoh said, we don't have anybody else like this in our entire kingdom. And everybody else were like, yeah, we don't have it. Mm -hmm. Right on the spot, Pharaoh said, you're going to be second in command. You're only going to be behind me. And we're, we're implementing this right now. Why? Crazy anointing. And as we step further into these last days, it's going to acquire, it's going, it's going to demand the anointing. I see it on you, even a new one. Lift your hands now. Father, that anointing that you have for your people, get ready. Let it rush upon them now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Receive right into your heart and up on you something from God just for you and an anointing to function with an unction whether you're a missions leader like Joseph Mesafonte and can speak 111 languages fluently and others we weren't told about that I obviously could do too. Or whatever your career field is, let that anointing distinguish you because without the anointing, you will never have the distinguishment that, that sets you apart that brings glory to God. Doesn't matter how good you play the piano. Good job, Mozart. But without God being in there and glorified, it's just intellectually stimulating. But there's other stuff that God puts the super on the grace gift. You're in a realm that puzzles people. Mm, amen. And that's what will bring glory to the Lord. And I see that's where the Holy Spirit's wanting to take you. Now, Father, pull your people there by your grace.
We thank you. And I hear the Lord saying, he's not going to pull you there screaming and kicking. He's going to pull you there. He's going to pull you there laughing and giggling. So Father, we thank you in Jesus name. Amen. If you're watching this program today and you've never made Christ your savior, you need to do so today. That is the entrance into the anointing and the power of God and all the good things, not to mention eternal life and your sins forgiven. So if you don't know Christ, I want you to pray this prayer. And if you are a Christian and you who has fallen away from the Lord and you need to rededicate your life to the Lord, do that right now. Both of you, all of you do you need to get your heart right with God. Pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, come into my heart. I surrender my life fully to you. Wash my sins away. Write my name in your book of life. Step into my life and let my life glorify you. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. And amen. And amen. He has heard that prayer. <laughs> welcome. Welcome to the family of God. And for you lost sheep who've made it back, welcome back to the fold. Praise God. Now, let's take communion together. Lock in that new anointing. Grab some unleavened bread. Grab some grape juice and let's pray. Father, we thank you for the bread, the juice. We bless it. We bless it. We set it apart as holy. We thank you that this is the flesh and the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the empowering of your spirit that is so unusual, it makes us talk about a man that lived 170 years ago. Here we are, Lord with all of our modern technology, and we're talking about a man that lived 170 years ago. Thank you for the anointing. It sure makes the difference. Thank you for your super upon our natural. Father, we receive the body of the Lord, and we thank you for strength and grace to do all that you've called us to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive. By the way, did you know that Joseph Mezzafonte only slept three hours a night? Mm. Pastor Stephen, you have to have uh, nine hours of sleep every night or else you can't function properly. The, the anointing can do all kinds of things. It can alter all kinds of textbook rules that don't apply to you. I'm not saying that you ever break moral laws or God's word, but I'm saying there are a lot of things that people think, well, you have to do it like this. The anointing can, can uh, really change things. See, he did sleep, but only three hours. Amen. Got a lot done, didn't he? Praise God. Somebody, see, there's anointings. There, there's anointings. Some of you need to cry out, God, some of these things that are being mentioned, let something like that touch me. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, I sleep 11 hours a day. Lord, let that touch me. Yes. Amen. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for forgiveness of our sins. We confess all of our sins. And we forgive anybody, anyone who has sinned against us. We forgive them. We bless them. We release them and move on with you in joy. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive the Lord's blood. Praise God. Glory. By the way, 
For those of you that made it with me all the way to the end of today's program, uh, there is a book. I'll send it to you as a free link. 562-page story of Joseph Mesafonte and all of his crazy, incredible miracle stories. Really, really neat. I wouldn't expect you to maybe read all 500-plus pages, but there's a lot of supernatural in there. If you want that book, email me at contact at stephenbrooks.org. I'll send the link to anybody that responds within the next 48 hours. Praise God. Amen. If, if outside of 48 hours, you're going to have to go to Google and do a lot of research to find it. <laughs> Woo! Praise God. Amen. Early bird gets the worm. Mm-mm. All right. Father, I just thank you. I speak blessing over your people. I thank you today. Let it be a marked day of a new anointing a fresh anointing, a stronger anointing than ever before. Father, we give you praise. We thank you. We thank you for victory. And Father, I pray that you help your people to protect and guard the anointing. It really is one of the most sacred things in the world, but because it's spiritual, it's not always valued as much as it should be. But Father, I thank you that your people will guard it. I thank you, Father God. We give you praise. We thank you. Bless your people, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching. Have a great week. See you again real soon. Bye-bye.